All financial advice provided on this show is for entertainment and educational purposes only. The financial ideas and strategies discussed are only provided as a starting point for a conversation about money matters. With regard to your particular investments and financial strategies, consult your financial planner, CPA, or investment professional. All your financial decisions are yours and yours alone to make and subsequently are solely your responsibility. The information that is supplied through the context of the radio program and any repurposing of its content by the host or network is a combination and collection of solid financial investment understanding, opinion, and comments. This network, show, and its host are not liable for financial strategies, outcomes that you employ in any manner that result in any kind of loss. Shares of corporate sponsors may be the subject of buy or sell recommendations in Jay Taylor's newsletter in accordance with Jay's objective opinion. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. This hour will help investors fix issues and achieve personal gain. Now, here's your host, Jay Taylor. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I am your host, Jay Taylor, and as I like to remind you each and every week, I'm also the author of Jay Taylor's Gold, Energy, and Tech Stocks. That's a weekly and monthly newsletter, Jay Taylor's Gold, Energy, and Tech Stocks. And my company, Taylor Hard Money Advisors, is in partnership with Chen Lin, who publishes What is Chen Buying? What is Chen Selling? And uh, Chen has had a remarkable track record in the past, having picked up uh, more recently, uh, has really focused to a great extent on the the, the uh, uh, bio, uh, biotech stocks as well as uh, some select, very select oil stocks he's done very well with. Uh, and I have picked up a few of those uh, as well for my list. But if you want to really keep track and uh, if you're interested in trading more than longer term investing, uh, a subscription to what is Chen buying, what is Chen selling is certainly the way to go. Uh, if you're an active trader and can really focus on what Chen is doing. He sends out frequent missives. Uh, he sent out at least one I know of today. Uh, he sends out almost every day something for traders. Uh, so what is Chen buying? What is Chen selling? Or my newsletter, more for the longer-term investment uh, investors, is J. Taylor's Gold Energy and Tech Stocks. And to subscribe to both those letters, you can go to miningstocks.com, miningstocks.com, or you can call our office here in New York at 718-457-1426, 718-457-1426 during normal work hours in New York. I do want to thank each of you for listening to this show, making it one of the more popular shows on the Voice America Business Channel. Also, uh, would encourage you to continue sending along your questions and comments, criticisms, and praises to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. Questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. I certainly do look at all of those that come my way. Uh, not very often do I have a chance or time to comment on them, but I do read them, and they are important to me, and I like to know what my listeners are thinking about and uh, how they are responding to what is said on this show. Uh, we do want to thank uh, our sponsors for today's show, Avino Silver and Gold Mines, and we want to welcome once again RN Resources as a new uh, for their return as a sponsor to this show. RN trades on the Toronto Exchange under the symbol AUG. And uh, it trades uh, over-the-counter in the U.S. under GGTCF. RN is a company whose management has been exceptionally successful as an exploration company in the past. They bring all of the pieces that are necessary for success together. Many of the junior mining companies, they might have some good technicians, but they don't have people that are as good at business or knowing how to finance or how to structure deals. Uh, the, the folks at uh, the management of RN have now had two successes under their belts. They're still fairly, quite young guys, actually. 
and they are on. I think uh, onto the new one, uh, which I expect will be bigger than than the others, even um, given what what is going on with their project up in the Nunavut, and they are also looking very seriously at something going on uh, at, at acquiring some very important properties. Uh, or at least one very significant property in Peru, it's my understanding. I don't know much of anything else more about that other than uh, they have their eyes on, a, on something. And knowing these guys, it's going to be good if they pick it up. Now, of course, the markets are starting to move higher. Uh, the time to buy distressed merchandise may be fast uh, in the rearview mirror, but uh, they are really going forward and, and moving uh, both already on their exploration project, which is, I think, has definitely has world-class major deposit potential up in uh, Nunavut. And uh, the last success these gentlemen had was with Caden Resources, which was also a sponsor of this show. So if you've had some uh, success with Caden, you might want to take a look also at Aron, and we will be talking to Aron in the near future to get an update on what that company is doing up in the Nunavut. Well, as you know, I was in Vancouver over this past weekend to attend and speak at the Metals Investor Forum that was put together by my friend uh, Eric Coffin and um, as well as uh, another friend, Scott Gibson. Uh, they put on a show that was just a tremendous event. It was uh, it was good to meet up with quite a few of you, too. I thank all of you who stopped by to say hello or met up with me there. It's really good to meet my listeners face-to-face. Um there were quite a few of you. There were some subscribers there as well. It was a, really a wonderful event. There were 30 resource companies that presented their stories there, uh, four of which uh, I invited. The four that I invited are, of course, all recommendations in my newsletter because the newsletter writers that were there were recommending companies uh, to be there because they really liked them and they thought they had great potential. Avino Silver and Gold, Golden Rain Resources, Trimetals Mining, and Klondike Gold were companies that I uh, w- that I was responsible for bringing to the show. Aside for the uh, aside from the companies that presented their stories, uh, and aside from yours truly, the speakers there were Brent uh, Brent Cook, Brian Lundin, uh, Eric Coffin, Gwen Preston, and Jordan Roy Byrne. And Jordan uh, Jordan's uh, the first time I really heard Jordan speak uh, as a technical analyst. Very interesting fella. And certainly from a trading perspective, uh, I think uh, certainly somebody you might want to pay some attention to. Uh, There is, uh, without a doubt, though, at this point in time, uh, the general consensus among all of the speakers there was that we are in a new bull market for gold and uh, and silver, the gold and silver share markets. The acquisition recently uh, of Kamenek, uh, announced by uh, the intention to acquire uh, Kamenek, resources by Gold Corp, is really opening things up in the Yukon. And that's where Klondike Gold is, uh, a very exciting company, and, and a couple of others on my list as well who have, uh, are involved up in the Yukon. So it should be really uh, a lot of fun watching these companies move forward, especially if you believe, as I do, that we are still in the early innings of a bull market in gold and gold shares. Uh, there is just a huge amount of money that is flowing out of the stock market. And I noticed today the equity market was down some 200 points a little bit ago. Uh, but only a small portion of that money is making its way yet into the gold uh, share markets and the, into the gold and the gold share markets. But just to give you an idea, I had breakfast with Jay Adelar of RN Resources on Friday morning, and he mentioned his conversations regarding a major hedge fund 
that had been losing 50 to $100 million a day as a result of redemptions. And they were forced to sell not what they wanted to, but what they were able to sell in the gold share market. So that really sent these shares down, just spiraling down well beyond anything, any sort of sane valuations. Uh, and that, though, however, has meant that there are some absolute uh, wonderful buying opportunities out there. Well, you, I could see that was true if and when gold turned around. And certainly now gold has broken through its resistance level, as Michael Oliver has talked about frequently on this show, and he'll be with us in just a few minutes uh, to update us again on, on his latest views on, uh, on the gold markets and some other key markets. Uh, so as the baby was thrown out with the bathwater, it uh, means there's tremendous opportunities. Yes, we've seen, if you look at the charts and take a, a step back and look at the longer-term charts, it looks like uh, we've hardly had any move at all upwards in gold. Now, if you take a look at the last two or three or four years, it looks like um, you know we've had a tremendous move. And in percentage terms, we have had a big move off the bottom. I mean, there are triple-digit gains for the average shares in some of the segments of my uh, gold and silver portfolio. But if you take a step backwards and look over the last 10 years, it's it's really almost nothing in terms of the move uh, where these shares were selling in the past. So I think there's still a tremendous amount of upside potential. And I hope that you, uh, some of you out there listening to this will take advantage of this opportunity. Subscribe to my newsletter because I'm talking about these stocks every week uh, in my newsletter. I work very hard to try to provide the best information I can with the time and resources I have, uh, and I think you're going to make a lot of money buying the shares uh, on my list for the most part, uh, and um, there should be a really great opportunity. I, I know uh, Jordan was talking that he thinks we could see a, a bit of a pullback here in the gold share market. It would only be natural. We've had quite a run up. And if we get a pullback in the gold share market, then I'm thinking uh, that we should be able to um, – uh, you know, we should you should be have another good entry point. But on the other hand, uh, if you wait and uh, to put all your money into the gold shares for a pullback, it's very possible the train will move out of the station before you get a chance. So, I, I hope that you'll go to uh, to miningstocks.com and uh, sign up at least a trial subs- a shorter term subscription. I should say we do have a shorter term three month subscription, which would give you 13 weeks of my weekly issue as well as three monthly issues. Well, let's turn to today's show. I've titled today's show, Gold's Ultimate Price. Well, think in terms of Niagara Falls through a garden hose. Well, Doug Casey, that was certainly a picture that he has painted in the past regarding what's going to happen when people give up on the dollar and when people give up on owning conventional, uh, conventional investment vehicles. Uh, and so uh, we'll be talking to Doug Casey a little later, at about a half past the hour, also joining me in just a couple of minutes from now, Michael Oliver. Um, well, Casey is certainly the, a brilliant, eccentric, and highly successful investor himself. And he understands, he definitely understands the destructive forces of government. And that understanding enables him to turn negatives into pos- positives uh, in his investment uh, approach. Uh, certainly his uh, luxurious development there at Cafayate. Argentina offers a potential safe haven from physical and financial harm from a world of potential chaos. It is, however, uh, very rich for many people. It's, uh, it is a luxury uh, site. It is uh, very isolated. Doug will probably talk a little bit about that today. 
but but his understanding of the world as it really exists, as opposed to the picture painted by American propaganda, has led him to say crazy things like I just suggested an idea of forcing Niagara Falls through a garden hose. But now a growing number of household name hedge fund managers and just huge world-class investors uh, are in agreement with Doug's assessment uh, regarding gold. No doubt Doug will opine on the future of, the wor- of our world and perhaps give some opinions on prospects of a Donald Trump presidency, too. I'd be interested to hear what his views are on that. It is, though, we're going to have to go to break now in just a, a, a second or two here. Michael Oliver will be with us. I'm really interested in seeing what Michael has to say today. He has, his recent charts have been just outstanding, as always. And what I've really gained confidence with uh, Michael, uh, it, because uh, really he's been able to, I mean, what he's suggested has really come true. And I've been watching him for a period of two or three years. Uh, and his momentum work has just been really spectacular in terms of uh, presenting the side of the market that you really need to be on. Uh, I don't know of anybody that makes me feel more comfortable or uncomfortable, but honestly, I've been positioning my own thinking to such a great degree along the lines of what Michael has been suggesting uh, that I've been pretty much in sync with his ideas. Uh, and, and he's been right. Now, if I've been in sync with uh, with Michael's ideas and they've turned out to be false and he's led me astray, do you think I would have Michael on the show week in and week out? There's uh, He he doesn't uh, spend a lot of time usually with me, more than 12 or 15 minutes at most, uh, but I have him on so frequently because of my confidence in uh, in his views and and uh, and that confidence has been well re- well deserved because it has been earned. Uh, he has been very very right about what he's been saying for a long time. Well, we do have to go to break now, but uh, don't go away because when we come back, Michael Oliver will be with me. business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Avino Silver and Gold Mines is a diversified, low-cost producer with operations in Mexico and Canada. Avino is growth-oriented and recently completed a major expansion at its Mexican operation, which doubled its silver equivalent output in 2015. Avino has partnered with Samsung CNT and is now an official metal supplier to one of the world's largest manufacturers of consumer electronics and builder of some of the most prolific engineering projects worldwide. Avino's shares are listed on the NYSE as MKT and the TSX Venture Exchange under the symbol ASM. If you want a silver lining in your portfolio, think Avino. Foreign Resources is a Canadian-based gold exploration company focused on the company's flagship Committee Bay project located in northern Canada, one of the best mining jurisdictions in the world. The company's current resource outlined by drilling thus far stands at 1.1 million ounces of gold at over 8 grams per ton. Foreign is operated by the same team that founded Asanko Gold, which is constructing a major gold mine in West Africa, and Caden Resources, which was recently purchased in November for over $200 million. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You're 
listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. Well, I'm really blessed to have Michael Oliver with me again because, uh, I, as I just was saying on the other side of the break, I don't know of any technical analyst who gives me a better sense of what side of the market I should be on, at least from a longer-term perspective. And, um, and that's really important to me because I am not a trader. I do make some short-term trades here and there, but predominantly I'm looking at value, uh, let's say, within the gold and silver mining industry. Uh, but, you know, as we've seen over the last four or five years, the stocks can be very valuable, but if the market is going against you, you may as well not be in those stocks. And um, so to have a sense of whether or not the wind is at your back or if it's blowing into your face is very, very important. And I don't know of anybody, at least from a longer-term perspective, that gives me a better sense of that than Michael Oliver. And I would like to also just mention that Michael, uh, you know, we talked to him about three or four key markets on this show. But those aren't the only markets that he follows. I mean, I'm looking over the last number of days. He covered Apple. Uh, he looked at IBM. Uh, he's looked at uh, you know all, all all manner of other markets: the yen, copper. Uh, you know, just just a whole whole bunch of things that he looks at. We focus on the S and P 500. We talk about uh, maybe some bonds, some treasuries now and then. Most often, gold and silver. But uh, this is a, a, a real treasury. Uh, a treasure trove that he provides for his subscribers and uh, just to keep you up to date with uh, with where you need to go to follow Michael it is Oliver MSA OliverMSA.com thanks for joining me again Michael it's good to have you with me be back Jake you know I, I have to think that some of the biggest and best and most successful investors well they must be listening to you or or somebody that thinks like you because a number of them are really basically well, they're doing, or actually, they're doing now, only now, what you were suggesting they might start thinking about doing a year ago or so when you first started talking about the upcoming plate tectonic shifts. Uh, but I'm thinking in, in specifically, and I mentioned in my talk in Vancouver, the likes of uh, legendary investors Stanley Druckenmuller, uh, Peter Fisher of BlackRock, Matt King of Citicorp, uh, certainly Druckenmuller himself looking. Uh, towards getting out of equities, uh, said it very dramatically in New York about a week or so ago, and getting into gold. And then I hear just today, somebody sent me something along the lines showing that Soros was cutting his equity interest way, way back and uh, and piling into uh, some gold equity. I don't remember what it was exactly. So, uh, you know, you you recently talked about, um, you, you sort of equated the uh, the S&P is to a dead man walking, and the S&P, well, it's getting hammered pretty hard again today, but yesterday was up big. Uh, what is your sense as to how much longer this dead man walking can remain mobile? Well, before I get to that, let me say I'm, I'm happy to be on the show with Doug, Doug Casey. Uh, oh, yeah. I'm sure, mo- I'm sure most of your listeners know who he is and all about him, but for those who don't, uh, uh, I've talked to him at length several times over the last year, uh, over the phone at distance, but uh, uh, he and I share something. We, uh, I know probably uh, right now maybe six people <laughs> that, 
that were active libertarians in wave one of the libertarian movement back in the early mm-hmm. 70s. And, of course, mm-hmm. Doug was foremost because he was the best-selling author at the time. Yes. Uh, his book, I think, was the number one financial book of 1980. He's a great guy, and anybody who doesn't know about him, if there were a term I think you'd label him with, it's he's got a mind that is borderless. Yes, and, uh, that's true. Which is, which is good. <laughs> anyway, as far as the markets go... Um, the uh, dead man walking S&P. Most tops in the S&P, if you go back and look at them, are protracted beasts. Uh, momentum will, long-term momentum will generally give its negative evidence early on, maybe even a year before it goes down. Uh, but basically, once the momentum is conclusively broken, and, and I argue it is, any rallies are for selling. They're, they're nonsense. They're, they're simply, and, and, and to some extent, because the equity markets, uh, the developed equity markets, that is, uh, Europe, Japan, here, are much the target of central bank policy to keep the prices boosted, to keep the faith, so to speak. Uh, that sort of explains the ability of that, those particular markets to hang in there before they finally bust a gut. Uh, and, and this was true in 2000 top. It was true in uh, 2007, 2008 top. There were many actions by central banks prior to and during those topping processes that uh, you can look at and say, ah, that, that explains why the market won't break. Mm-hmm. Uh, and ultimately, when it does break, because it was exaggerated to begin with by those same policies, uh, it overshoots on the downside. <laughs> so, um, so to that some causes, extent, if Michael- you're there, it's good... <laughs> Michael, that causes that whoosh sound that you talk about. Yeah, right? the whoosh effect, and and I, I'm sure we'll get it. We got we got a, 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 a throttle uh, back in January, but uh, we got one in August as well. Uh, but uh, I I think we're going a lot lower than the S and P. And by the way, the S and P is I've said this to my subscribers is simply not representative of even the developed economy stock markets. It's not even representative of the U S stock market. Uh, you can look at many sector ETFs and contrast them uh, starkly with what the S&P is doing. S&P is up on the year or unchanged on the year right now. NASDAQ 100, which is blue chip, is actually down on the year 5%. Uh, and there's other indices in the U.S. and in sectors that are down more than that. So it's really it's, it's sort of a false god we've created out of the S&P 500, I guess because so many asset managers were just benchmark against it. Mm-hmm. But it is not, quote, the market. All right. Well, you know, it's, it's interesting, too, because we know that, that the equity markets have been held up to a great extent by companies. Uh, in fact, Druckenmuller showed a slide in which a vast amount of money that's been borrowed by corporations has not gone into building plant and equipment, expanding their business, but rather for share buybacks, and which I, I suppose in many cases allows the uh, you know the management to exercise their shares and take some cash out of the baby, and you know, and, mm-hmm. and basically uh, run away with the money in essence, and leave the shareholders hanging in the longer term. So, right. but you know, it, it, we like to talk about equities. We like to talk most about gold and silver in this show. But to me, the big one, the real major tectonic shift, will be when the treasury market goes down. And you've started to be a little bit more cautious on long dated treasuries, the T bonds, haven't you? Yes, I uh, uh, again. I don't. Uh, I understand the fundamentals. Uh, I'm not a bond specialist by any means. I don't care to be. Uh, yeah. it might confuse me. <laughs> the uh, I look at the technical uh, perspective of any given market via the momentum of its price action. And T bonds. If you recall, back in 2013, the bond market had a bad year. It was going down sharply. 
Mm-hmm. Like most uh, bond market analysts, PIMCO included, we're looking for higher and higher rates. But uh, our work said, nope, going up. And I'll be darned, it turned in January 14, and has been going up ever since, and has maintained the integrity of what I consider its momentum trend. However, that trend is getting old, it's getting worn at the edges, and I can basically say with some confidence that by the end of this year, that trend will be broken, meaning mm. we're going to have higher rates and lower prices in the long end of the bond market, uh, U.S. government market. I can say that also about the Japanese government bond and the German bond, the three safest government instruments in the world, quote, unquote, safe. Um, the one I'm watching more keenly right now, though, is in the middle ground. Uh, High-yield markets were easy to call a year and a half ago that they were going to drop, rates were going to rise. Mm-hmm. Uh, and now that's you know, a known fact. But during that process, the T-bond, the safe end of the market, uh, has, has remained steady to up, meaning lower yields. But there's, an, there's a market in between there that uh, the at jeopardy, I consider at jeopardy, government bond markets of Europe, specifically Italy and Spain. Mm-hmm. So I'm very closely watching their yields and the momentum of their yields, and they have what I consider to be major bottoms in the momentum pattern of their yield action, not the price action, yield action, so we invert mm-hmm. that. Um, mm-hmm. And it, it tells me that it's unlikely they'll stay in this bottom for much longer, meaning the yields are going to shoot up. Mm-hmm. And if you ever jeopardize the integrity of one, either one of those markets, uh, you've got Greece times 10. Mm-hmm. They were able to sweep Greece under the rug, you know, and it, it, it overcome it, overlook it, and kick the can down the road, but they can't do that with Italy or Spain or both of them. And I argue that the next government bond market you've got to watch is not ours, not the Germans, not the Japanese. It's Italy and Spain. Mm. They're, they're the ones that will follow high yield mm-hmm. into a, a negative trend or higher rates. And so I'm, we're really focused on Italy and Spain right now. Um, and I think once they come on hand, then probably three to six months down the road, the other ones will as well. The two yeah. Treasury. Yeah. yeah, well, that could be the granddaddy. That would be the granddaddy. I would think that the... Uh, the impact, and that that could really be the major energy and force behind that tectonic shift that you're talking about. I mean, that could be mm-hmm. the conclusion. I would think setting things off in dramatic fashion potentially. We would hope and pray that that's not the case. I, I mean, who wants to see? No, no it's uh, it's reality. It's <laughs> it, it should have it should happen uh, because uh, events, uh, you know. Lay the groundwork, and you can't, you know, it's just a reality, uh, objective fact that the governments have distorted the pricing of many asset categories. Right. And for, to get back to a normal world, we need to rip that apart again. And I think right, right now the commodity markets are uh, doing their role, which is acting like a torpedo headed toward the bond markets, because commodity prices are rallying, and they've just begun. And I think it's going to be a very serious percentage increase in uh, commodity basket prices, I'm talking 50% and more in many markets, mm. from, measured from their bear market lows. Um, I think oil will see 60. You know, right now it's 48. Uh, I think it'll have a wobble at around 50, but you know, I think it's going to 60. And gold's going up. Um, silver with it. Uh, the grains are moving. Uh, in fact, we had a limit up day in soybeans last week. Oh. Um, and, and people aren't noticing this because they're, they're so in, entrenched with their prior template, which is the deflation uh, right. strategy or, 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 or view of the world. And they're wrong. Uh, the commodities have come unhinged on the upside, and that will be a threat to the bond markets. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that, that could be the thing, the trigger that could send the bond markets uh, mm-hmm. lower, I suppose, and, and probably I will. will. Uh, 
And then, and then, you know, then uh, of course the Fed doesn't want to raise rates, but it might be forced to. Or let's put it this way: I think you would probably be of the of the, of the opinion that the governments and, and and central banks can try to fool Mother Nature if they want to, but ultimately Mother Nature is going to win, right? Oh, absolutely. And the and the longer the process goes on, the longer the uh, non-market pricing has occurred, uh, and and the. the the more the oscillation has been as well. So not just the, you know, the time, but time is a factor as well. So the longer the error has been building, the worse the response. All right, Michael, we got one minute left. Now, we haven't yeah. talked about gold at all, but I, the, last I, uh, the last I saw, you're still targeting uh, something on the order of 1450, 1470, somewhere in that range, I think, Probably is the first the series. The year, I think there'll be a sharp wobble in the mid-1300s. To come out of this recent congestion, I think if you close any day on the nearby contract at 1290 or higher, which happened to be the high trade of the other day, not the high close, though, close the day at 1290 or higher, I think we'll come pushing up out of this ink that we've been in for the last few months. All right. And rush Very one good. up into the mid 1300s. All right. Well, we'll look forward to that. Look forward to having you back again, hopefully next week, almost every week that you're willing and able, Michael. Thank you so much for being with us again. Always refreshing, always important to hear from you. Well, folks, we are going to go to commercial break, but don't go away because, as Michael noted, Doug Casey, who he much admires, and so do I, he'll be back with us right after the break to talk about things like Niagara Falls being forced through a garden hose. Interesting character. You won't want to miss what he has to say. Doug Casey back after the break. Don't go away. Avino Silver and Gold Mines is a diversified, low-cost producer with operations in Mexico and Canada. Avino is growth-oriented and recently completed a major expansion at its Mexican operation, which doubled its silver equivalent output in 2015. Avino has partnered with Samsung CNT and is now an official metal supplier to one of the world's largest manufacturers of consumer electronics and builder of some of the most prolific engineering projects worldwide. Avino's shares are listed on the NYSE as MKT and the TSX Venture Exchange under the symbol ASM. If you want a silver lining in your portfolio, think Avino. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1 866 472 5790. That's 1 866 472 5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number 4, Taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I am your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm really pleased to have with me a special guest today, Doug Casey. Doug's been with us a few times in the past, so I I suspect there aren't many of you out there that aren't familiar with Doug Casey and his work. Uh, But for those of you who may not be familiar with him, Doug is a world-renowned investor and author. Uh, I remember his book, Crisis Investing, when I was a young man. Doug was, too, back in the early 70s or so. I remember seeing him on... Uh, television, uh, I think Good Morning America, or one of those shows in New York City. Uh, and so ever since then, Doug Casey has been someone that I have really 
uh, looked up to in many ways. Um, he has also been uh, you know, frequent guest on television and, and a lot of venues that uh, I would love to be on. Uh, he's been interviewed by the likes of David Letterman, Mer- Merv Griffin, Charlie Rose, who I really enjoy as an interviewer. If you get on Charlie Rose, I think you're someone special. Uh, Phil Donahue, Regis Philbrin, many, many other people. Doug's been on the major networks as well. So uh, it's really, uh, really a pleasure having you, Doug. Thanks for joining me today. Oh, thanks, Jay. It's a pleasure to be here. You know, your uh, crisis investing book uh, was a big seller. It was a number one seller on the New York Times list uh, back in the 70s. Uh, could you perhaps share with our listeners a little bit about, uh, about what the content of that book and how relevant might it be for today's environment? Well, uh, when I wrote that book... Uh, in 1978, it was published in very early 1979, I said that we were on the cusp of what I call the Greater Depression. And subsequently, interest rates, even on U.S. government paper, rose to 16 17%, and it looked like the economy was going to go over the edge. Um, so it was, a, it was a time of impending doom and disaster in those days. But we recovered, in part because of the high interest rates, which caused people to save more and consume less. It washed out a lot of misallocations of capital and distortions from the marketplace. All right, now here we are, 35 years later, and at this point, interest rates are at all-time lows, in fact, they're at negative levels. It's something I thought was metaphysically impossible, quite frankly. Mm-hmm. And what I'm saying right now is that uh, we're in phase two of the Greater Depression. A depression is a period of time when most people's standard of living drops significantly. That's the best general definition of a depression, a time when most people's standard of living drops significantly. And the average American's standard of living has been going down consistently since about 1971. And I think it's going to go down much further and faster at this point. In fact, look at it this way, Jay. Uh, We entered a gigantic financial hurricane in 2007 when the economy once again almost totally collapsed. And uh, the government papered it over by creating trillions of new currency units, not just the U.S. government, but the Europeans, the Chinese, the Japanese, all of them everywhere have done this. And most of those currency units have just stayed in the banking system since then. And uh, now we're going, we're, we're exiting the eye of the storm. The leading edge of the hurricane was 2008 and 2009, the eye of the storm And now, here, at the end of this year, 2016, we're going to go into the trailing edge. And it's going to be much worse, much longer lasting, um, and much different than what we saw in 2008 and 9, or for that matter, back in the early 80s. So hold on to your hat. Yeah. Um, Well, Doug, you know, one really successful investors like yourself – uh, have looked at crises as an opportunity. 
um, you know, to to come out the other side in better shape. I mean, most while most people are being destroyed, people with the perception and the ability to look forward to see uh, the fundamentals that are that are leading to this problem, understand those fundamentals, and then act accordingly. Uh, provide tremendous uh, opportunity to actually turn a negative into a positive. And I think uh, you certainly, uh, crisis investing was about that. You're, you certainly have found ways. I mean, I know you talk about buying real estate in places that I wouldn't want to go near. But, you know, you see sometimes the opportunities when everybody else is looking uh, at things uh, as doom and gloom. So you did very well. Uh, your subscribers did very well during the 1970s and uh, and, and later on. Um, but do you see the possibility then of turning what seems to be very you know very dark days ahead into something that that can turn out well? Uh, I do, Jay, because all of the real wealth in the world is still going to exist. Uh, the farms, the mines, the factories, the technologies, the skills that people have. So just because we have a financial or economic collapse doesn't mean that all that wealth, those buildings and so forth are going to collapse. They're just going to change ownership. So that uh, I think it's possible to position oneself now, going to have to guess right on what's going to happen and how it's going to happen, of course, but position yourself so that uh, the the depression treats you well. Uh, and I say that within the context, incidentally, of what Richard Russell once quipped. Uh, he said, in a depression, everybody loses. The winner is the person that loses the least. Mm-hmm. And, and there's a lot of truth to that, actually, because we have uh, uh, the standard of living of the average guy has been going down for decades but it's been disguised by the tremendous improvements we've had in technology, which is the mainspring of human progress anyway. So, of course, better technologies improve people's standard of living, while all kinds of other things, mainly things that the state is doing, uh, has decreased it. Uh, and also, it's the tremendous amount of debt in the world is uh, important because... When you have savings, which very few people do anymore, net savings, it means that you've been living, you've been producing more than you've been consuming, and the savings are your, is the difference. But that means that you've been consuming more than you've been producing. Now, how is that possible? Well, here's how it's possible. It means that you're consuming the seed corn that have been created for many generations before us, and you're mortgaging your future. And that's what most people have been doing. So uh, this is going to be quite catastrophic, I think, in the, in the years to come. Yeah, destroying your seed corn certainly is, a, I think, a very good way of putting it. Doug, I can't understand how you can pretend to be a capitalist country when, in fact, you are destroying price recognition of capital as the central banks are doing around the world led by the Federal Reserve. I mean that they're pushing interest rates down to zero then to negative rates as you say you thought it was impossible for that to happen but we're actually seeing it happen and it seems to me that you know as you say they're discouraging savings. Why why to save? Um, And so uh, you know where where is this thing going to go because uh, we're, we are, in fact, as you say, we're destroying the seed 
the seed capital because we've been encouraged to do that by by governments, by central banks that are really forcing us into that direction. And here's the thing, Doug. Now they're talking about you know zero rates, negative rates, and now they're worried people will take their money out of the bank. No kidding. We're going to take our money out of the banks if you're going to start taking money away from us. Uh, and then uh, they have the audacity now to suggest that maybe we have to make cash illegal so people can't take their money out of their banks so that uh, we'll be forced to use digital money, you know, use our cell phones to buy things and sell things. Um, how do we protect ourselves against that nonsense? Boy, that is really tough. Uh, one thing you're going to have to do is violate the law. And you're never supposed to say uh, violate the law. You're supposed to become a you're supposed to be a, a law-abiding uh, little lamb, uh, <laughs> law-abiding citizen. But uh, the law is a, an arbitrary construct. It's an ass, and most of the laws uh, that are that come spewing out of Washington every year are are stupid and destructive and counterproductive. Uh, no, this is going to make things much worse than they would be otherwise. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if, um, look, in the years to come when you're watching um, television, just turn off the audio and put the Rolling Stones' Street Fighting Man on continuously <laughs> because that's what it's going to be like. In fact, I think that, um, I'll tell you what, I don't support him. Uh, he's got a lot of idiotic beliefs and he says a lot of stupid things but I think that Trump is not only going to win but he's going to win by a landslide wow because the reason I feel that uh, there, there are a number of reasons why why I feel that he's going to win uh, one reason is that people are just fed up with the status quo this is why Bernie Sanders is you know really, in point of fact, running neck and neck with Hillary. Yeah. And it's an avowed socialist. I mean, people, at this point, things are so rotten that, uh, you know that old saying, uh, well, you don't want to burn down the barn to kill the rat. But a lot of people feel, hey, you know what? It just depends on the relative value you place upon the preservation of the barn as opposed to the destruction of the rat. <laughs> That's what's going on right now in, in the U.S. Yeah, I think there's no question about that. And, you know, I mean, I, I, I cringe at a lot of the things that Trump says, but I agree with you. Uh, there's so much anger. There's so much discontent. And, I, you know, my sense is, well, maybe there's a chance with Trump. We know where the other guys are taking us. They've, they've demonstrated it. Uh, and, you know, I don't think people have an understanding of the details. I don't think enough people understand, Doug, why the destruction of savings through uh, through lack of price discovery, through interest rates. People don't really have a clue as to why it's important to save, as you were pointing out. We had this long period of prosperity after Volcker took his foot off the accelerator uh, back going back to the 1970s. Uh, you know, we, we were having facing hyperinflation. Uh, and they allowed, uh, restricted the, the growth of money and allowed interest rates to rise. That caused people to save. Doug, I remember my first mortgage was a 17.5% mortgage here in New York City. And, yes. uh, and, and, you know, but that paved the way. That savings paved the way for 
uh, a couple of decades, uh, several decades of, of, of much better, you know, of, of growth to an extent. But then, of course, the same guys took over and started to uh, try to try to promise more than uh, than they could deliver or that the that actually the real world can deliver in the short term, at least for people, the politicians with all their promises and uh, and and wanting, you know, give give away gifts uh, through interest rates. And, well, we don't need to go into all that. All of that, but Doug. So you know, as you say, wealth will not be destroyed. It's a matter of redistribution of wealth, right? So, how do we? We know that gold retains its value. Gold retains its value. Uh, this an ounce of gold will buy basically the same thing as it would have bought, um, you know, a thousand or two thousand years ago. I guess and people have done studies on this sort of thing. Um, but gold, in terms of the currency, can go up dramatically and. In fact, I want to bring out something, a picture that you have painted for people, for people that have listened to you and heard you speak in the past. In fact, I put this in my May newsletter, my May monthly newsletter, which is just going to press today. Gold's ultimate price, I say, think Niagara Falls through a garden hose. You've used that expression, I think it was you, Doug. I hope it was you, because I'm saying it was. Uh, that you said, look, when, when people... When fear grips and people lose confidence in the dollar or other currencies, you're not going to be able to get gold. It's going to be like trying to force Niagara Falls through a garden hose. That was you that said that, right? Yes, that's, that, that is indeed. And something. so now is the time to buy gold, the physical stuff to start with. Oh, absolutely. And for different reasons, uh, silver should be put in the same classification. It's not a pure monetary metal. It's got many, many more industrial characteristics, but I'd, I'd be buying both of them. Silver is a more volatile market. It's got more upside potential if things go the right way. But I think that um, you're going to see gold explode upwards in uh, the next few years. So that's certainly something that everybody should do. Put most of your savings, most of your liquid wealth in the precious metals at this point. And since uh, with these criminally insane people at the Federal Reserve and in the U.S. government uh, printing money and creating all kinds of distortions in the marketplace, the other thing that I think is very interesting is these junior mining stocks. They're, they're not um, small caps. They're not micro caps. They're not even nano caps. They're pico caps. They're so small. <laughs> and um, that uh, I think that... Uh, um, people could catch on to them and uh, after this long bear market that we've had both in um, all commodities and in uh, these mining stocks fortunes could be made many times in the past these things have gone up 10, 20, 50, 100 to 1 and yes, 1,000 to 1 in price and I've actually owned stocks like that personally I've owned them um, it could happen again in this environment because all of these insane central banks and governments are printing up trillions of new currency units. And when it hits the economy at a retail level, it's going to be something to behold. Yeah, I mean, uh, it was Ian, the late Ian McAvity who said, uh, I remember a quote he, he gave at a conference, I think it was, is, is a, a barrel of oil is a barrel of oil, an ounce of gold is an ounce of gold. What is the dollar? And obviously the dollar can, you know, evaporate to zero. And so in terms of uh, the price in, denominated in dollars or any other paper fiat currency 
can become infinite. And and we don't want that, Doug. I mean, I think nobody is cheering for that because it, it's probably going to bring with with it an awful lot of chaos. And and I want to talk to you a little bit about, or have you talked to us a little bit about how you're trying to protect yourself and, and a lot of your loved ones and friends and people of like mind down there in Argentina. But before we get to that, uh, getting back to the gold mining sector and the and the junior mining companies, Doug, you you have a great deal of experience in that area, and you have uh, outlined the difficulties. I mean, you've you've called it a horrible industry. Mining is a tough, tough business. So maybe just talk a little bit, if you could, about some of the the problems that the mining industry face. I agree with you. I'm extremely bullish on the junior gold shares, but people should also be aware of the risks as well, right? Could you just talk a little bit about the the horrible business that mining is, essentially? It is. It's a terrible business. It's a 19th century choo-choo train business. (laughs) And and, and no wonder that uh, kids today uh, don't want to uh, go to school for geology or mining engineering because... It seems so primitive playing around with these big yellow trucks in the dirt. Instead, kids are going to school for gender studies and <laughs> science and things like that, which is incredibly stupid. But that's that's a different subject. Um, the fact is is that the mining business has always been hard, but it's been getting much harder uh, over the last hundred years. Why? Because. Since uh, the dawn of history, uh, men have been looking, prospecting for deposits of metals. And the fact is, almost all over the world, all the cherries uh, have been picked. The low-hanging fruit has been picked. So now, if you find a deposit, it's very low-grade, and if it's going to be economic, it has to be very large. And that means huge upfront capital costs. But why would you want to make a, a huge upfront investment when it, first of all, after you, after you spend millions and millions of dollars finding this hard-to-find deposit, then you might have to spend another decade uh, getting the permits to, to put it in and then raising billions to build the mine, which there's no guarantee is going to work or be productive. And then all the while, you're going to have everything from uh, the indigenous people to NGOs by the score trying to make your life miserable. And if it is successful, the government's going to try to tax it out of existence. It's a horrible business. You can't invest in mining. You have to speculate in the mining stocks. So I, I think that kind of sums up. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think I think you've hit it. Uh, you've hit it very well. Certainly, what do we do and speculate? Of of course. So I think what you're suggesting, Doug, is people should uh, should not in, be investing more than they can afford to lose, or let's say speculating uh, their resources more than they can afford to lose when they go into these mining shares. It certainly is. Uh, these are the guys, though, that really create the wealth, Doug. In my view, the miners, the manufacturers, the inventors, the farmers. Those are the people that create the wealth, and somehow, though, uh, the politicians have managed and the central bankers have managed to get their hands on on the wealth by creating these tickets out of thin air. These, um, uh, you know, well, per- Jay, it, it's it, it is absolutely criminal and disgusting and destructive of civilization itself. Mm-hmm. The people that create wealth that give you the metals that you need to make everything from cars to buildings to your silverware. 
uh, the farmers that give you food. These people are looked upon as enemies by the common guy and the politicians who, who create nothing and are nothing but parasites say, I'm going to make it better by taking things away from these people and regulating it and making it hard for them to... It's, it's a bizarro world where everything is upside down philosophically. So um, I think that uh, this is all going to be washed away. Uh, this is, I think what we're looking at now is not just the biggest thing since the last Great Depression from 1929 to 1946, I think we're looking at the biggest thing since the Industrial Revolution. And I don't know exactly how it's going to, how it's going to shake out, but uh, it's going to be fun to watch. And that's why I like being down here in Argentina, because incidentally, this, and this is something that uh, your listeners might want to keep in mind, it's that as tough as things are going to be in North America and Europe and Japan and China, there are places in the world that the standard of living is high and getting much higher. Here in Argentina, for instance, since Juan Perón after World War II, this country, which used to be on a level with the United States, has been going down and down and down. But uh, finally now, uh, they've elected a president. They seem to have turned a corner. And uh, here in Argentina, uh, where the cost of living is very low, what's happening is that um, I think there are scores of billions of dollars from Argentines that have hidden overseas. They're going to bring it back to the country. There's going to be new investment from foreigners that's going to come in here. Uh, commodity prices, which this country uh, revolves around, are very low. They're going up. That's going to bring in many, many billions more dollars. Farmers are going to be are, are going to double their production, many, many billions more dollars. The economy is being deregulated. You know, he's fired here in Argentina a hundred thousand government employees for openers. There's hmm. only 40, there's only forty million people in this country, but he's already fired a hundred thousand government employees. Hmm. That's a very good start. So. I think that while the rest of the world is going to be in chaos, this country, which has been living in chaos for the last 50 years, is, is going to improve tremendously. So you've got to look abroad. You can't act like a medieval serf mm -hmm. to one place like a potted plant. That's not a good survival strategy. Yeah, very interesting. Well, we had Jim Rogers as my guest last week, and I was asking Jim about where... Uh, you know, he's expressing some reservations about his uh, home, what he calls home now in Singapore. Given some of the developments that are going on now with the new Silk Road and goods going from China through India and Russia all the way up to Europe, he's uh, suggesting that Singapore is, is likely to be far less important in the future as a port city, which really is what its economy revolves around to a great extent, that and I suppose some financial services. Uh, and I ask him, and you know, he's also he's also concerned not only about the economic implications of all that, but also about chaos around the world, safety, your your own personal safety. And you can imagine, Doug, uh, if we're heading into the kind of disaster or hurricane that you're suggesting, there's going to be a lot of civil unrest. 
Uh, and Jim suggested that, well, maybe there's some isolated places in South America that you might look at, and he didn't name Argentina per se, but I know that you have, next to Jim Rogers, I think of as a world traveler, a, a person who's been around and has uh, gone and studied countries and learned about them firsthand by visiting them. Uh, you've studied Argentina, and, and uh, before we let you go, I want you to talk a little bit about your project down there, uh, which I visited a few years ago. It's a lovely place in Salta, the province of Salta, in a, near a small, on the edge of a small town called Cafayate. Tell our listeners a little bit about that, and then also, Doug, related to this issue of digital money and um, what the government's trying to force on us. Uh, is there a way that uh, your little community down there in Cafayate may be self-sufficient to an extent whereby you can create your own community and be immune to some of that kind of nonsense that it looks like we're going to be subjected to? Well, that's pretty much the case. We built a, um, a resort community uh, in the town of Cafayate, uh, which is a wine-growing community. We're surrounded by thousands of hectares of vineyards in a valley, surrounded by mountains, lots of water. And you can get on your horse from Cafajate and ride it days in any direction once you get out of the vineyards and not see another human being. Hmm. So we're isolated. And, you know, all the food is fresh and local. And we have a championship golf course. We have a polo field. We have a world-class gymnasium and spa. We have all these fantastic things down here to to live um, in the lap of luxury. So when things hit the fan in the rest of the world, I'm hoping to be watching it all in the way of free amusement on my widescreen uh, <laughs> down here in Argentina. Much more pleasant than watching it out my front window <laughs> in the U.S. So, yeah, so people, um, they can go to... Um, lec.com I think that's the website that would work and okay and they also want to check um, our free blog called internationalman.com sign up for it every day we have some interesting internationally oriented stuff investments and all kinds of things so that's the second thing and and the third thing Jay I want to come back on your show if I may next month because I've just completed the first of the six novels that I'm writing oh good on, yes on unjustly besmirched and highly politically incorrect occupations that our hero indulges in uh, each more more radical than the one before the first one is called speculator about a gigantic mining fraud it's educational about the mining business and also um, about a revolution in Africa, which I think people will find entertaining with boy soldiers and the whole thing. Because I, I, In fact, I was just uh, a few weeks ago, I was in Zimbabwe, uh, and it was quite interesting because that's one of my hobbies, you may recall, is talking to third world governments, preferably military dictatorships, about how to radically uh, reform their economies and turn themselves into a new Singapore. I've had some fascinating adventures uh, doing that type of thing. So, Oh, fascinating. We could talk about. Well, I certainly would like to have you back on again uh, sometime in June. When will the book be coming out? 
Uh, sometime mid-June, I hope. Okay. Yes. All right. Well, we'll keep that in mind, Doug, and I'll, I'll look forward to having you on. I'd love to have you on. Always refreshing, always a lot of fun. You, you uh, provide insights that are rare, I think, and, and very valuable. So thank you very much for being with us once again. And uh, again, we'll, we'll look forward to talking to you in June sometime. Great, Jay. Thank you. All right. Well, that is all the time we have for this week. Next week, William Engdahl will be with me. Until next week, goodbye and God's blessings to you. Thank you again for listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor. Please join us again next Tuesday at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel.